boy, Mrs. Pratchett's Revenge. Our foreign master came into the classroom with a piece of paper in his hand. The following are to report to the headmaster's study at once, he said. Thwaites, Dahl, and then he read out the other three names, which I have forgotten. The five of us stood up and left the room. We didn't speak as we made our way down the long corridor into the headmaster's private quarters where the dreaded study was situated. Thwaites knocked on the door. Enter. We sidled in. The room smelled of leather and tobacco. Mr. Coombs was standing in the middle of it, dominating everything, a giant of a man if ever there was one, and in his hands he held a long yellow cane which curved round the top like a walking stick. I don't want any lies, he said. I know very well you did it, and you were all in it together. Line up over there against the bookcase. We lined up, Thwaites in front and I, for some reason, at the very back. I was last in the line. You, Mr. Coombs said, pointing the cane at Thwaites, come over here. Thwaites went forward very slowly. Bend over, Mr. Coombs said. Thwaites bent over. Our eyes were riveted on him. We were hypnotized by it all. We knew, of course, that boys got the cane now and again, but we had never heard of anyone being made to watch. Tighter, boy, tighter, Mr. Coombs snapped out. Touch the ground. Thwaites touched the carpet with the tips of his fingers. Mr. Coombs stood back and took up a firm stance with his legs well apart. I thought how small Thwaites' bottom looked and how very tight it was. Mr. Coombs had his eyes focused squarely upon it. He raised the cane high above his shoulder, and as he brought it down, it made a loud swishing sound, and then there was a crack like a pistol shot as it struck Thwaites' bottom. Little Thwaites seemed to lift about a foot into the air, and he yelled, Ow! and straightened up like elastic. Arter! shrieked a voice from over in the corner. Now was our turn to jump. We looked around, and there, sitting in one of Mr. Coombs' big leather armchairs, was the tiny, loathsome figure of Mrs. Pratchett. She was bounding up and down with excitement. Lay it into him, she was shrieking. Let him have it. Teach him a lesson. Get down, boy, Mr. Coombs ordered, and stay down. You get an extra one every time you straighten up. That's telling him, shrieked Mrs. Pratchett. That's telling the little blighter. I could hardly believe what I was seeing. It was like some awful pantomime. The violence was bad enough, and being made to watch it was even worse. But with Mrs. Pratchett in the audience, the whole thing became a nightmare. Swish, crack, went the cane. Ow! yelled Thwaites. Arter! shrieked Mrs. Pratchett. Stitch him up, make it sting. Tickle him up good and proper. Warm his backside for him. Go on, warm it up, Edmaster. Thwaites received four strokes, and by gum, they were four real whoppers. Next, snapped Mr. Coombs. Thwaites came hopping past us on his toes, clutching his bottom with both hands and yelling, Ow! Ouch! 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 Ow! With tremendous reluctance, the next boy sidled forward to his fate. I stood there wishing I hadn't been last in the line. The watching and waiting were probably even greater torture than the event itself. Mr. Coombs' performance the second time was the same as the first. So was Mrs. Pratchett's. She kept up her screeching all the way through, exhorting Mr. Coombs to greater and still greater efforts. And the awful thing was that he seemed to be responding to her cries. He was like an athlete who was spurred on by the shouts of the crowd in the stands. Whether this was true or not, I was sure of one thing. He wasn't weakening. My own turn came at last. My mind was swimming and my eyes had gone all blurry as I went forward to bend over. 
I can remember wishing my mother would suddenly come bursting into the room shouting, Stop! How dare you do that to my son? But she didn't. All I heard was Mrs. Pratchett's dreadful high-pitched voice behind me screeching, This one's the cheekiest of the bloomin' lot, Edmaster. Make sure you let him have it good and strong. Mr. Coombs did just that. As the first stroke landed and the pistol crack sounded, I was thrown forward so violently that if my fingers hadn't been touching the carpet, I think I would have fallen flat on my face. As it was, I was able to catch myself on the palms of my hands and keep my balance. At first, I heard only the crack and felt absolutely nothing at all, but a fraction of a second later, the burning sting that flooded across my buttocks was so terrific that all I could do was gasp. I gave a great gushing gasp that emptied my lungs of every breath of air that was in them. It felt, I promise you, as though someone had laid a red-hot poker against my flesh and was pressing down on it hard. The second stroke was worse than the first, and this was probably because Mr. Coombs was well-practiced and had a splendid aim. He was able, so it seemed, to land the second one almost exactly across the narrow line where the first one had struck. It is bad enough when the cane lands on fresh skin, but when it comes down on bruised and wounded flesh, the agony is unbelievable. The third one seemed even worse than the second. Whether or not the wily Mr. Coombs had chalked the cane beforehand and had thus made an aiming mark on my gray flannel shorts after the first stroke, I do not know. I am inclined to doubt it because he must have known that this was a practice much frowned upon by headmasters in general in those days. It was not only regarded as unsporting, it was also an admission that you were not an expert at the job. By the time the fourth stroke was delivered, my entire backside seemed to be going up in flames. Far away in the distance, I heard Mr. Coombs' voice saying, Now get out! As I limped across the study, clutching my buttocks hard with both hands, a cackling sound came from the armchair over in the corner, and then I heard the vinegary voice, vinegary voice of Mrs. Pratchett saying, I am much obliged to you, Edmaster, very much obliged. I don't think we is going to see any more stinking mice in my gobstoppers from now on. When I returned to the classroom, my eyes were wet with tears, and everybody stared at me. My bottom hurt when I sat down at my desk. That evening, after supper, my three little sisters, my three sisters had their baths before me. Then it was my turn, but as I was about to step into the bathtub, I heard a horrified gasp from my mother behind me. What's that? she gasped. What's happened to you? She was staring at my bottom. I myself had not inspected it up to then, but when I twisted my head around and took a look at one of my buttocks, I saw the scarlet stripes and the deep blue bruising in between. Who did this? My mother cried. Tell me at once. In the end, I had to tell her the whole story while my three sisters, aged nine, six, and four, stood around in their nighties listening goggle-eyed. My mother heard me out in silence. She asked no questions. She just let me talk, and when I had finished, she said to our nurse, You get them into bed, Nanny. I'm going out. If I had had the slightest idea of what she was going to do next, I would have tried to stop her, but I hadn't. She went straight downstairs and put on her hat. Then she marched out of the house, down the drive, and onto the road. I saw her, her through my bedroom window as she went out of the gates and turned left, and I remember calling out to her to come back, come back, come back, but she took no notice of me. She was walking very quickly, with her head held high and her body erect, and by the look of things I figured that Mr. Coombs was in for a hard time. About an hour later, my mother returned and came upstairs to kiss us all good night. 
I wish you hadn't done that, I said to her. It makes me look silly. They don't beat small children like that where I come from, she said. I won't allow it. What did Mr. Coombs say to you, Mama? He told me I was a foreigner and I didn't understand how British schools were run, she said. Did he get ratty with you? Very ratty, she said. He told me that if I didn't like his methods, I could take you away. What did you say? I said I would as soon as the school year is finished. I shall find you an English school this time, she said. Your father was right. English schools are the best in the world. Does that mean it'll be a boarding school? I asked. It'll have to be, she said. I'm not quite ready to move the whole family to England yet. So I stayed at Landeth Cathedral School until the end of the summer term.